do you want to start a business, get out of the office, achieve happiness and success while crushing life? This is Boss to Boss, the place to be for that extra motivation to get up and follow your dreams while learning from the ones who have already done it. And now for your host, Miro Wieslow. Welcome to Boss to Boss. Today's guest travels the world as a yogi, teaching and practicing internationally. He specializes in applied anatomy of physiology of yoga practices and infuses his training as a linguist and a doctor of engineering to teach his clients and friends. Chris is known for his hustle and intelligent conversation. He enjoys barefoot walks and vegan ice cream. With over 600 videos on YouTube, catch his best content at ninthlimb.com. That's ninthlimb.com. Chris it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing today? I feel immaculate. I just finished my morning routine, got my mind set, and then this podcast is happening right now. So this is the best time of day to be doing this. I'm really happy to be on and be talking with you, Myro. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Oh. Chris, where's the best place to uh, to find you, whether whoever is listening right now, whether on YouTube, Facebook, or uh, any of the avenues we have for, for podcasts, where's the best place to check you out on, on social media, for example? Yeah, uh, I would say either Instagram or YouTube. Um, YouTube just has so much more content, mm-hmm. and you really get a feel for it. You know, there's personal content on there, like as far as like highlight videos from my trips and Steve stuff. A lot of instructionals and things like that. If you're into my content, then that's there. Uh, my Instagram is also really good just to stay up to speed. And from those, you can find all of my other stuff. You know, I have my own podcast website and stuff. And then what's the what's the at? Um, uh, for the Instagram. Yeah. What's the main one that people should search for? Yeah. It's yoga bliss. Chris, one word, yoga bliss, Chris, yoga bliss, Chris. So you can't miss yeah. that. And then on Facebook, is it the same thing? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, it is that, you know, I have a business page called Yogi Chris, but I think if, uh, you just search for yoga bliss, Chris, I think it comes up. Honestly. Yeah. I, I just, I know you as Yogi Chris. Like I, I, oh, yeah. I, I, I I don't even know your last name. I mean, I do, I do, but in the sense, no. <laughs> I think of Yogi Chris. I hear Yogi Chris. I know it's you right away, and uh, <laughs> yeah. all of, all of you here after this episode will be like, "All right, I know exactly who Yogi Chris is." Yeah, Yogi Chris, you know, and um, yeah, my last name's kind of complicated, and Yogi Chris, you know, uh, is kind of a brand name, and sometimes I even throw in the PhD afterwards because you know I worked yes. hard. To- so I like to get credit for that. So I like to right? say Yogi Chris PhD. I'm sure that there's a thousand other Yogi Chris's in the world. So, so, so how do you pronounce the full name? DeVilbus. Christopher DeVilbus. DeVilbus. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's pretty catchy and it's original. That's for sure. I, I love it, man. Um, yeah. With or without the PhD, but I would definitely rock that at all times. So Yeah. As long uh, as possible. So really quick, tell tell the listeners, the ones that are uh, – if you're, if, you're, if you're listening to the podcast – uh, right now you're not at your home, let alone any home, you know, that you would have, where, where are you? What are, what are you doing at this point in your life? Wow. Well, so, you know, where I am, you know, is geographically I'm in San Dimas, which is just East of Los Angeles. I'm staying at this near mansion of Brian Casella, who's a real estate agent and my good friend and sales coach. And so this amazing, is a phenomenal amazing guy, place. amazing guy. Yeah, that's for sure. He's been on the podcast yes. and he has a huge presence uh, in social media and business and so on. And 
So I kind of wander around the U.S., usually on like a loop or a zigzag, uh, Mm -hmm. just hitting up different cities with my yoga teachings. And Los Angeles is a place that I've uh, found as like a second or a third home. Uh, My main home, my mailing address goes to Houston. And my girlfriend lives in North Florida. And so that's another mainstay that um, I am. We got together right before I really hit the tour. Uh, I went to India, came back, and I was really touring. And so she was already my girlfriend. And we went through that heavy discussion of like, hey, do you really want to keep doing this? Like, uh, I I have no reason to break up with her. She's what I want. But I'm not going to change my purpose here because this is something I've been building for years. And I'm not going to stop this. So finishing my PhD, build up the momentum, the skill set, the business savvy to be able to travel and teach, uh, which is very unusual for someone that as new into yoga as I am and as young as I am and as not famous as I am, people do that, that are rock stars, that um, nobody climbs their way into the yoga industry. It's not a huge industry, and uh, but I'm doing that. And so I wasn't going to change my purpose just because I got a girlfriend. And so we had that big discussion of like, yeah. hey, are we going to stay together? And how are we going to do this? How are we going to manage this? And, you know, she's finishing a doctorate. She has a job. She has a son, like all these things. And uh, and it's working out so far. We've been together over two years now. And uh, so that's another main home. So North Florida, Houston, and then Los Angeles. I kept coming back to L.A. because I have teachers. Arash Bazar lives in San Jose and Vince Kelvin lives here in Los Angeles. And these are two linguist coaches that I have that uh, they teach many different things, but I really absorbed their syntax, their vocabulary, and their inner sense of freedom. I consider them both yogis, even though they don't really practice yoga. I mean, they go to like yoga classes and whatever, but they're not like their name isn't Yogi Arash. My name's Yogi Chris, right? Yes. And uh, so I kept coming back to LA and it, after maybe six or seven times, Brian Casella invited me over to his house. He was one of the first guys that I'd met in that whole kind of tribe of people. Three, three and a half years ago, I came out to Los Angeles for kind of a conference and he was one of the first guys I met there. And I think we kind of hit it off because the first, well, The second conversation we had, the first one was just like introductions. We were sitting in a circle. A few hours later, we have a second conversation, and I had a question about something, how to approach somebody. Uh, And I knew he was a sales guy. I knew that he was into pickup and that kind of thing. And so I asked him, I'm like, how do I approach that person? And he thought for a second, gave me a line, and he's like, say this. And right then, right there, I turned, and I walked, and I approached the person. I said exactly what he said. And I I think it worked for like a little bit, whatever. It, It was just I applied immediately what he said when there was like eight or nine other people standing around him that just were talking with him, but weren't like learning from him. I'm like this, there's this guy that's at a high level and I wanted to learn from him. So I think that left an impression cause that was similar to like what, how he operated. Yep, Ask yep. the person a question, immediately apply it and just go do it. And that might come from like our, both our sports backgrounds. You know, he's a pro basketball player. I was a high level wrestler at university of Oklahoma. And so I just had that mentality of like, if you're going to ask a question, then it's because you're going to apply what the answer is. And there ain't no other reason to be asking the question. And then, uh, so a few times later, he invites me to his house. We end up becoming friends and it just kind of became a mainstay that when I come through LA, I'm just going to stay with Brian and which is quite nice because LA is expensive and, uh, it's kind of a resting retreat period. So, uh, there's a lot going on. I could keep going. I could keep talking, but yeah. That's kind of where I am geographically, you know, mentally, uh, emotionally, psychologically in my business. I'm at a really, I'm at the precipice. I've done a lot to build my name. I've called about a thousand yoga studios. There's about 15,000 in the U S but half of them are garbage. They're not even yoga studios. They're that's like part of the, that's part of the cold calling you've been doing, right? 
Yeah, lots of lots of cold calling. I cold called about maybe uh, a third, around thirty percent of the qualified yoga industry in the United States from for myself. Wow. And wow. qualifications include like you know how big the studio is, what kind of classes they teach. There's some kinds of yoga places that don't hire any somebody like me. Uh, but of the ones that are qualified potentials, I've called thirty percent of them. And I got apprentices that are working on a you know, a call list because it's not like real estate where I can just, there's a third party company where can give me the numbers of all the houses. And, uh, I mean, somebody probably could collect all the Google numbers for me, but it's, I've done that and it's really ineffective. If you know nothing about the business, when you call them, they pick up on that. And maybe there's a script that would get me around that, but I hadn't found it yet. So I found it more useful to do a little research before I call them. And, uh, so that takes time, right? I can't just, uh, Google the number and call them. I got to research them a little bit. So I got apprentices that do that for me now. So I'm looking at uh, in the next one to two years fully calling all 2,500 qualified yoga studios in the United States. And eventually that's going to pour over. Like I was just came back from the South Caribbean. I met a whole bunch of British people. They took private lessons with me. Only one more trip to the South Caribbean, which will happen next October. And I'll have enough clients in Britain that would justify going to Britain to teach somewhere there. Huh. And that's another international gig. So just circling around the U.S., calling everybody. And, you know, I close at about a three to 4% rate. Uh, so, you know, one out of every 20 or 30 uh, studios I'll teach at. Which is pretty, pretty standard, I would say, right? I mean, I guess it depends by industry. Some it, industries yeah, are it's much totally lower. by industry. And uh, it's super interesting uh, because, you know, just to get right into being controversial, probably, uh, a big portion, almost all yoga practitioners, like more than 70%, I would say, are women. And a lot of them are, uh, it seems, feminist. And what's so interesting is yoga as an industry is very female dominated. Most yoga teachers are female, like nine out of 10, like probably even more than that. I don't even know, but it's a vast majority. And here I am, a guy trying to make it in a girl's world. This is uh, the complaints or the, the gripes that I hear a lot about how a lot of these working class women are trying to make it in a male dominated this or that. They're trying to make it as a banker, as a real estate agent. They're trying to make it uh, just on an equal playing field and all of these things are the same situations that I find myself in trying to make it in a woman's uh, world. I'm not complaining about it, but it's yeah, really I'll, challenging. I'll, like, for example, my girlfriend will call a yoga studio and they're the exact person that I spoke with mm responds to her voice, her demeanor, her request so much more pleasantly than when I called the yoga studio just because I'm a guy. I'm a guy teacher. I'm out of state. They don't know who I am, but those are all the same variables with her. It's just she's a girl. She's got a girl's voice, and the response is very different, and I'm, I love it. I love the challenge. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I was going to say. Do you feel that that's lighting – an additional fire underneath you. Um, like how do you, cause a lot of times I'm dealing with the, the, that polar opposite. You know, when I have, when I have females, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, um, on the show, I ask them the same question because it's, you know, this happens so much more that, you know, the females trying to get up to, uh, to a lot of the roles that, that, that they haven't been in the past years. So now here finally is my opportunity with the total polar opposite. Like how, how does it make you feel? Are you embracing it? Are you complaining about it or what, what, what is it? Well, it's a skill set that I think is paramount to the rest of life yeah. that it's to be a, a strong and assertive man, uh, a masculine man is comes with a price tag. You got to mm -hmm. earn it. And 
to be unable to empathize or to be unable to adapt one's communication, I think one of the senior qualities of an alpha male is adaptability. And going back to, you know, my PhD is in environmental sciences, going back to a Darwin definition, survival of the fittest, there's another definition that he put forth, which was survival of the most adaptable. And so I believe an alpha should be very, very adaptable to be able to communicate with someone that's more feeling oriented or more amiable or more soft or more indecisive or all of the qualities that I see in yoga studios around the country. There are a few exceptions. There's a woman that I'm teaching for uh, regularly in Tampa, Florida, that's uh, very feminine, but just super business mindset, super driven, super focused, super certain uh, on in that arena. Mm-hmm. And it's a pleasure to work with her because there's just so little friction. There's so little ambiguities in the business uh, operation. So, but outside of like that or the few examples of that, I think it really calibrates me well to interact with my girlfriend, to interact with all the females in my life, my sister, my mother, and all of my friends and students. And it uh, gives me an appreciation for the differences. So when I hang out with someone like Brian, it's very different than hanging out with a girl that's the friend. The, the conversation, the vibe of it, the feel of it is so different. The, <laughs> the language of it, it's, there's so much more pointedness. It's less beating around the bush. And I appreciate that because of the opposite. And without the opposite, I wouldn't be able to appreciate it. And it also – it's so great for my evolution because any little frustrations that come up in me, is it's within me. It's not them. It's just me interacting with them. There's something in me that has a problem with that. And sorting that out is part of my process as a yogi. I don't want anything inside of me being uh, you know, tightening up or any, any resistance inside of me because of some external – uh, stimuli. That's at least something that's like arbitrary, like a person's voice. Like I get if I put my hand in the fire, I'm going to react. But like as far as in a social situation, I like weeding out anything that's creating that resistance to me. So being a male in a female dominated industry, you know, that's and there's so many perks to that too, you yeah. know, like yeah. I'm around women all the time, exactly. which is a pleasurable thing for me as a guy. Like yeah. I'm leading yeah. women into a practice that I find so beneficial for myself. I remember I was around uh, a friend over Christmas uh, it was a group of people. My girlfriend was there. It was just like a Christmas party. And I'm in the garage with a couple of the guys and we're just hanging out. And it had literally been like six months since I had hung out with guys, like always women. Like every weekend I'm just around a bunch of women. There's maybe a couple guys there. Usually the guys that come to yoga, they're a different kind of guy. Every now and then I get, I find a guy like me, but it's by and large, it's a different kind of guy. And you know, I'm on the phones calling during the weekdays. I'm talking with mostly women. I'm interacting with my students during the week. It's mostly women except for a few guys that are subscribed to my uh, pay. Actually, in my subscription program, it's mostly guys. But there's like 12 people there, so it's like nine or ten guys. And uh, so that's interesting. Hmm. And so I'm hanging out with this uh, guy who is the husband of my girlfriend's friend. And we're hanging out in the garage, and I'm, <laughs> I have a moment of complaining, man. It's very rare for me. I don't complain. But in that situation, I was complaining. And I was like, because I was so, I I felt so good being around these like three guys just hanging out in the garage talking about like hardware and cutting the wood Mm because he was designing something. And I was an engineer and I'm like thinking about, and I hadn't thought about it for like two years. And so I start complaining. I'm like, man, this is so amazing hanging out with you guys. Like I've just been hanging out with women for six months and they look at me and they're like, oh, what's wrong with you? Hanging out with women all this six months. You don't get it. Like it's, it's almost like a boyhood or a teenage fantasy to just like be around women all the time. But when you're around nothing but women all the time, it's, uh, it's hard, man. They got, they, the way that they talk, the way they process sensation, the process, the world, the language, vocabulary they use. 
it's it is different and with a trained linguist like myself i'm trained to feel words i'm trained to analyze and assess the vibration and frequency of words and how they put together in the frequency of a syntax in a sentence and and the mental side of this like what concepts are pointing to and so i hear in their vocabulary so much uh chaos it's it's pointing at so many different things at the same time because it's not really pointing at any of it. It's conveying a feeling. They're con- they're communicating their feelings, and uh, whereas uh, the masculine is really designed to communicate the facts, ignoring the feelings. The hunter was designed to ignore the feelings so that he still went on the hunt, to ignore the danger because he still needed the food, and the masculine is trained to disregard the feelings. If the facts are pointing to something else and that's, it's the polar opposite for, uh, all the females that I interact with. And so it was a big chaos for a few mm-hmm, months handling mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And that was a little wake up call interacting with that man in his garage. And it was like, Oh, what am I really complaining about? And it just kind of helped me level up and mature a little bit that I've assumed this position to be uh, a liaison of the spiritual practices to a majority of women. And, I need a skill set that doesn't make me too intimidating, doesn't make me too abrasive, but at the same time doesn't make me so passive that I'm not actually leading them anywhere. There's a lot of male teachers that are very amiable that and amicable, so they're easy to converse with, but they're not leading you anywhere. They're just one of the pack. They're, they're one of – I don't want to use the analogy sheep, but they're one of you, and where are they leading you to? And – so I distinguish myself and some women have a problem with what I just said and some women don't. And the women that are good with it are the ones that actually follow me. Yeah. And at the end yeah. of the day, it, it doesn't matter, right? It's male, female, whoever follows you, you know, you're here to take them to, to that next level. That's what, what they're want. trying to accomplish. And, and yeah. it's not going to matter. And we're all learning along the way. Um, I agree. It, it sounds like you definitely knew. You knew what you wanted to do. It sounds, I mean, you're super passionate. You want, you want to, you know, you got a PhD mm. in all this. And there, there had to be a moment though that you're like, all right, I'm ready to just take on this, this business life. I'm ready to be an entrepreneur. I want to do my own thing. When was that moment in life? Cause it sounds like it's, it's kind of been with you the whole entire time. Was there like a turning point in life? Well, I always went off after everything I was doing very certainly. And so, Going back to like when I was a wrestler, I just I knew it and I dropped everything and I just became a wrestler and it was and I got criticized so much for my certainty there and but I I knew that there was something I wanted maybe my motives were weird like the reasons why I wanted that was weird and but I knew that I wanted it then I became an engineer I knew I wanted that mm-hmm. then I switched engineering I was an industrial engineer I went to environmental engineering which was a it's a very different discipline and got criticized a little bit but I knew what I wanted because of that and. So I knew that I loved yoga and nobody could stop me from doing yoga. I did it every day. Nobody had to tell me to do it. Nobody had to motivate me. I never asked any question. How do I just get on the mat and do it? Like it was, it was just as easy as whatever you like to do when you wake up. Like you like mate, you like drinking mate right when you wake up and you don't even have to think about it. That's how I think about yoga. Like I wake up and the first thing I want is I want to take some breaths. I want to stretch my body. It's just what I want. And so after three or four years of doing that, I had some experiences, uh, where I was kind of quote meditating it wasn't really a meditation but it, i was sitting quietly doing a certain mental practice and i had a vision of something that had happened before i was born and i wasn't sure that it was real i thought i was hallucinating uh it was a disturbing thing it had to do with um somebody i knew that was older than me 
and it was a vision of them as a child and something was happening. And so it was, it was disturbing what I saw and I wasn't sure what to do about it because if it was fake, I didn't want to like <laughs> ruffle any feathers based on yeah. like my illusion. So I talked with some guides, you know, people that were yogis that were much older than me and they gave me some suggestions. Long story short, I confirmed it with that person that I saw something that happened before I was born that happened that they experienced and I don't know why. And that was really, um, it destabilized my world a little bit. No way. Because Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. So I was already two or three years into my PhD and it threw me off my bearing so much because I couldn't explain why. I didn't understand why. I had been stretching and breathing, but I didn't have the vocabulary of yoga. I hadn't been studying the philosophy or the physiology of like, what am I doing to my nervous system in my mm-hmm, mind? Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a, one, the first turning point. That were was you, like, were you, were you practicing? Um, like I, I've, I've had a little experience in the past where you were just my, taking everything out of your mind, just focusing on your breathing, like, you know, whatever thoughts came in, came in. Is that what happened? Sort of. Yeah, it was a very passive practice, uh, which is what you're saying, like clear the mind, be receptive is, is yin. And yes. uh, so I was in a kind of cathartic state. So I, was, um, I just stretched pretty intensely for, you know, about an hour stretching and breathing. And it was at home. And so then I was sitting and I had done a certain kind of breathing practice where you inhale and hold and you exhale and you hold your breath. And there's a certain pattern of how you inhale, how you exhale. It's simple. It's just it takes, you know, you, someone teaches you. And so I'd done that and then I just finished that. And so I was sitting quietly. I say a little prayer at the end of my yoga practice where it's a simple prayer. I just close my eyes. I exhale fully and I think about people. And whoever comes to mind receives, I think, a thought prayer. Like if I'm thinking about them in that kind of empty state. Uh, it, it symbolized kind of death for me because as the old saying goes, we all die on an exhale. Well, exhale is our last breath. And so for me, when I exhale and I hold my breath out and I'm thinking about people, it to me feels like I'm preparing myself for that last exhale. Like who am I going to think about on that last exhale? And it helps to order my mind and prioritize my relationships. And so I was doing that and I was thinking about people. And after three or four people, the vision came to mind. And it was one of the people I was thinking about. And then this whole story, this like 60 second story comes to my mind. It's like a clear as a, a movie. And it makes me very, very emotional. I start crying. And I hadn't had a crying moment in yoga at that point. It was like three or four years. And I was like sobbing. I couldn't stop. And uh, it had been a long time since I had cried like that, like since wrestling or something, breaking a bone or something. And so I came out of it. And that was a big shift for me. And processing that experience for a few days. And I was like, I don't have – the language to explain this. I, I need to go in more into yoga. And it was a big shift for me where I realized I'm going to be doing yoga forever mm-hmm. or something like it. And uh, this isn't a little hobby that I'm going to graduate from and get over. Like I'm going to be doing this. And then became like an 18 month period of like, well, am I going to finish my PhD? Am I going to be an academic? Am I going to go? I had the promise of a $90,000 a year career as an environmental protection uh, agency employee. And so I'm like battling this in my mind because like I liked the engineering, but I achieved serenity and bliss and transcendence with yoga. I didn't get that with engineering. And how much do I value that? So over about 18 months, I'm debating that. And then I meet uh, a Rashti Bazaar. And so I go and meet a Rashti Bazaar. I fly to San Jose. I mean, it's a long story how that happened, but, you know, I'm studying his material. He sold me on a one-on-one. I go out there. And so it's my birthday, the only birthday I ever remember. All the other birthdays I don't remember. I remember little pieces of like opening a present or I'm sure I got drunk on my 21st. But my 29th birthday, I remember that birthday. And because I went to San Jose and I went with Arashti Bazaar and I saw some magical things happen in his communication. And the first thing that he asked me was, what do you want to do? 
What do you want to be? If you wouldn't fail, if you knew you would succeed, there was no chance of failure, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And you so I start talking about yoga. Okay. Uh, you know, I had been deepening my mystical experiences for 18 months. I had a few more experiences, but that first one was the turning point that I told you about. And so I'm describing to him, like, I want to travel the world and teach. Like, I I want to practice, but I know that teaching makes me better at practicing. And I just want to oh, yeah. wow. teach. I want to have my life paid for with yoga. I don't want to struggle. I, I just want to practice and teach. And so through questioning, he just asked me quite, he never inserted his opinions. He just asked me questions about what would it look like? What would it feel like? How, what would you be wearing? Where would you go? Who would your friends be? Who would your enemies be? How would you, what would be the sound of your conversation with clients? Like all these details, what did you eat for breakfast that morning? And what did you say to yourself before you go to bed? He just, for like an hour, he just asked me law of attraction questions and I have it all recorded. So it changed my life. I listened to it dozens of times. I had a conversation like that recently (laughs) with somebody about my business and it's just like, ah, it makes you think though too. You're like, man, Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. so interested and it really opens you up. So Mm. that's the experience, like opening up. Yeah. And some people aren't ready for that kind of questioning too. I I teach it to people and some people, it gives them anxiety to think about this sort of thing. And I was ready for it. So that was the second turning point where it's like, ooh, now I have a vision of how to go about my business. Mm -hmm. Like first I had the passion, the want. Then I had a vision for how to do it. Then very soon after that, a few weeks later, I meet Brian Casella. Brian Casella with his sales and his cold calling, it just appealed to me because I'm like, I'm going to be calling people that I don't know. Because in my small town of Gainesville, Florida, I have a special skill set, brother. I teach a kind of, uh, it's a kind of physical therapy. Um, I don't want to call it that because that's a whole discipline that has certifications and, you know, it's authorized by medical industry and stuff, but it's a kind of physical therapy that I have a lot of success with. And, and I teach a kind of breathing that I also have a lot of success with as given by, you know, the hundred testimonial videos on my website or on my, uh, well, on my website, but on my YouTube and the town of Gainesville, Florida is a college town. When you take out the college students, there's about 80,000 people there. It just wasn't enough people to become the kind of yogi that I wanted to be. And Brian emphasized YouTube and social media posting, and he emphasized calling, calling, calling. And then he gave you a skill set for how do you handle objections? How do you go about this? How do you track numbers and all these things? It's so real estate oriented, but probably 60 or 70% of what he says, it just immediately, like he'll say it and I'll be like, I can use that. I can use that. I can use that. So I just he, yeah, honestly, uh, sales are there's such a back. Uh-huh. The sales are such a backbone of just business mm. or just anything in general. Uh, uh, yeah, you could take it and tailor it to anything. So it's almost like a calling. The fact that you met him right after that, I'm yeah, just, like, thinking about it here, putting a timeline in my head, and um, like this just worked out. It's yeah, it, yeah. you had like you almost had no choice. You're like, I gotta go into this. This is awesome, it, man. I would be turning my back on something if I don't. Yeah. And, and I just immediately saw benefits too. Like mm-hmm. within a month, it, it blossomed. Within two months, my yoga career really blossomed there in Gainesville. And uh, so those were the three turning points. And it just became – so I had a vision. I had a skill set and I had the passion. And what else do you need? You just need the skills, how to put it into action, the vision of where you want to go. And then this you know, energetic, this emotional kind of fuel source that's going to fuel your propulsion forward. And that was my enthusiasm and my, my – uh, the – the feelings and the emotions that I cultivated in my yoga experience, which just kept want, I kept wanting more. And, um, so yeah, that, did that answer your question? Like how I got on the path, the turning point, it happened about three years ago, more or less. Cause these didn't all happen back to back. About three years ago was when I saw it as like, this is really going to happen. Like the only reason this won't happen is me. And the only reason this will happen is me. 
And so what do I want here? <laughs> because this is going to happen. I was finishing a PhD and my professor was looking at me uh, as being his successor. Like I was going to do a postgrad degree and then I was going to take over his position as head of the, he was retiring. So I was going to inherit like a whole um, center in a division one university, 50,000 undergrads and they have the environmental oh, wow. engineering wow. center. And I was going to, I was on path. To and take that. you surpassed all that, right? Pretty much. I mean, at this point, uh, I wouldn't say I surpassed it. I left it. Um, you know, I, I turned away from it okay. and, and that was, that was a hard pill to swallow uh, because, you know, when you have two passions, um, you know, I was by all means successful in that. I published six peer reviewed publications. Uh, I was well known in that community of environmental, you know, there's sub communities in every community. Mm -hmm. In that sub community, I was basically famous uh, in academia. And I was going to turn down a, a career and a future for something that solely depended on my ability to sell myself yep. in an industry that didn't have a lot of money. And historically, there are a few rock stars in yoga, but um, most people aren't. And just for the uncertainty of it. And then given that I have you know college investments to be paying back and mm -hmm. uh, you know a relationship to cultivate and um, a whole bunch of uncertainties, there were no guides. There are no people that do what I do that are my age. There are a handful of people that do what I do that are much older. Like I was just in Lake Tahoe a few days ago, mm -hmm. which is about eight hours north of here, and I was hanging out. I was teaching there, but then I hung out with one of my first yoga teachers. His name is Doug Swenson, and he's been traveling the world for about 45 years. But it's – and so he's about 69 years old right now. And it's it's a different beast. He goes about it differently. He was from a different time era, and but it was nice because he's one of the only people in the world that I can actually talk to about my business that he does the same business. And he was giving me advice and things that no one else could give me, and it was so cool. Um, he's just a very different person from me, though. So I don't I don't see him as like a life coach or a mentor on that level. He's just a guy that's really really good at yoga and has been doing the same path as me and there are things I admire about him. So I follow him in the things that matter and the rest of it, I just leave it. Like So, so for me, for example, I don't know how much you relate to this part. Being an immigrant, I had to, you know, go in and either be a doctor, an attorney, a CPA or an engineer. I had to be one of those. And now, uh -huh. now I run a, a charitable on demand storage and junk removal moving company. So nice. it's like a totally different thing I do. And I'm running, you know, yeah. this podcast um, as as more of a side hobby, a uh, passion project, and and I guess would you say that you being a PhD going that route is that something you had to do? Do you feel that would yeah. you have done it all again? And how hard was it walking away from that just to kind of do well, what you're doing now? Uh, was, was, there was, any, was there anybody that was there anybody that you had to like, um, and I guess some do some explaining to, like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, um, it's interesting. You know, for 18 months, I was torn inside. After I had my mystical experience, before I fully decided that, okay, I'm going to go yogi. Like, I had the vision, I had the business plan, because those 18 months were pretty uncertain. I was trying to develop my name locally as a local teacher. Uh, I didn't want to stay local, but I, I didn't know what the next steps were. So I was really torn for like 18 months because the appeal of a career and, you know, a well-paying job exactly. and something that I'm good at and I pretty much enjoy and most of the people there I enjoy. I mean, living in a college town has its perks, right? Yeah. There's lots of girls everywhere. There's always an influx of new people. The culture is interesting and I have access to all the re – like there was a lot of pros to being in academia. And so for 18 months, I'm torn. Uh there was a sense of almost like obligation to my family. I was the first PhD in my family, mm -hmm. and 
it, you know, I had to trace the breadcrumbs back to why I even went to college. I went to college to wrestle. I didn't go to college to become a, a college person. I don't know what I would have done without wrestling. I probably would have joined the military. That's when my dad, my both my grandpas were retired army officers. And uh, so I my backup to going to the University of Oklahoma to wrestle was to go to West Point, become an army officer. Hmm. And so that's probably what I would have done, uh, which would have been a very different life. And so I went to university to wrestle. Like I wanted to be a national champion. I had no thought about what career I wanted to be. I just wanted to wrestle, and I knew I had to go to college to do that. So when wrestling was over, I felt really lost. I had an engineering degree, but you know I didn't remember any of my engineering. It was ridiculous how I passed. And so I just went into a master's. I was like, I'm pretty good at this thing. I haven't had the college experience yet. Because I was wrestling, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours a week, like with training and competing. Like there was, there wasn't a life for no. me with that, uh, a social life. And so I was like, I'm going to stay in college for two more years and get a master's and get a better job, but I'm going to get the college experience. So I did that. And about halfway through my master's degree, I found environmental engineering and it woke up something in me as I was reading it, seeing all the connections of how nature works. It reminded me of as a boy, like, this was a subject that I actually liked, like a school subject that I actually liked as a boy was this, but it was just not taught in the way that I liked. So it woke something up in me. I finished my master's and I decided, okay, I'm going to go for a PhD. I had some job interviews and I could have done them, but I was like, you know, I'm just going to see how far I can take this. Like, why not? I'm so close to a PhD. I'm not going to want to come back to school after getting a career. Let's just get the PhD now. And so I went with it. And simultaneously, I got into yoga right when I started going for the PhD, uh, right after my master's. So th there was an overlap there. And so there was a, a psychological investment. There was an investment from my parents, from all my family support. Everybody that knew me knew me as this. And reinventing yourself is a challenge because you're kind of enmeshed in a big social matrix, a social web that has a relationship with your advisors, with your friends with your parents and all your family and everybody, your girlfriend, like everybody knows you as this role. When you yep. change that role, uh, it changes their role too because you're tied together. So it changes who they know. It changes their relationship to you and they're afraid of change also. So when you change, you take on all their fear also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's a leader. A leader does this. And one of the things I admire so much about Rosh Bazar is how often he reinvents himself, knowing that so many people rely on him. So he takes on all of their concerns too every time he changes. And I see it Good just way. get stronger and stronger every time. And I do too. Like I'm gonna, about to cut my beard and I'm going to get a head tattoo on the side here. And that's going to be a big change. And really? it's scary, but I'm going to do it. And it's not because of the fear that I'm doing it. It's just a side note that there happens to be fear. Would I do it anyway without the fear? The answer is yes. You got to Facebook Live that situation, man. <laughs> or, I'll, or I'll do a post, like follow up review, a follow up interview with you, man. And it will uh, document the whole story. That's, oh, man, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, you know, and I think it might affect business a little bit because I'm already, quote, scary. I mean, my palm tattoos make it scary sometimes for uh, yoga clients when they see that. My beard, my, my demeanor, how I talk, I soften myself. You know, this would be my voice if I was on the phone with a client and I would be talking much softer and yep. uh, especially at a prospective yoga studio. But when I'm talking with you, I'm much yeah. more certain and confident. And this is how I talk in my YouTube videos. Yep. So my prospective clients, they go on my YouTube and they're like, oh, this guy is, he kind of scares me a little bit in, in the yoga industry. You know, in the real estate industry, I wouldn't be, or in some other industry, but in the yoga industry or the massage therapy industry, 
uh, it's a bit scary. You were definitely so, a lot more upfront when I first uh, heard your voice. Uh, it was it definitely uh, exactly what you're saying. Uh, it definitely a lot more upfront, a lot, I guess, different than what I uh, you know expected. It, I thought more softer, more calm, like more yeah. like soothing me. Yeah. I, th- I thought I was gonna get like a meditation session out of this. I was like, oh, oh yeah, man. perfect. You know, nice yeah. morning morning routine. Let's get this interview out in the morning. Perfect. And we can, we can. <laughs> you know, one of my yoga teachers, he says that a muscle, just kind of giving an analogy, that a muscle is only as uh, it's. A muscle that won't contract, you know, there's a lot of people trying to wake up certain muscles in their body, like through lifting or whatever. He's like, a muscle that will contract is just as useless as a muscle that won't release. If it won't let go, if the muscle's tense and it won't let go, it's useless also. It needs to be able to soften. It needs to be able to firm. It needs to clarify the polarity. And I know a lot of yoga teachers and especially guy yoga teachers that they talk with the kind of softness and they elongate their vowels and they're slightly more monotone. They're not fully monotone, but they're really in a narrow range. And they talk about feelings and expand your heart and elongate your inhale and soften your eyes. And but they can't change that talk. When they leave the yoga studio, they they talk like that also, actually. They are actually always that, Mm -hmm. and they're bound by that expression. They're bound by, you know, a person's voice and how they talk and the words they use indicates their mind. It's like the the map. The the words you use is the map of your mind because, you know, from NLP, from neurolinguistics, that the map is not the territory. Just because you're looking at the map and you see a mountain on the map, that's not the mountain. That's just a picture of the mountain. And your words and your gestures and your expression is not your mind, but it indicates your mind. It's pointing to your mind. And a person that can't change their voice when they're in a different situation can't change their mind. And so they're immobile. They're inflexible in their mind. And that's not a good yogi to me. You got to be flexible in your mind also. And so my soft speaking and my soft, you know, trance like guidance into yoga practices is made more powerful because it's different from how I normally talk. So if you know me, it grabs your attention when I start talking like that even more. And then I can keep your attention to lecturing like in this kind of voice. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I like the, um, the range. Range is super important. Range of motion in a joint is just as important as range of motion in your mind. And uh, so that's that. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I ever fully answered your question. No, no, that's, that's great. <laughs> So whatever you, did, you, whatever did you need to wrap it up or no, 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 that, that, was, that was great. Years. I think the listeners will, uh, the listeners will find it very useful and helpful and just numerous things you've thrown out. I think you've thrown out different perspectives and you just talked about different points in life that a lot of people, a lot of listeners, a lot of people like myself mm-hmm. were going through at some point, whether it's still at school, whether you're still in your day job, whether you're sitting behind a desk, you know, a lot of these moments we came across and we're trying to decide what to do next. If it's, yeah. It is. It is nerve wracking. It's supposed it to be nerve wracking. Yeah. But I tell oh, you're you, you're growing. You're growing. You're growing. It's when it. It's going to be tumultuous inside, mm-hmm. but when you make the decision, it should be clear. It's a. It's a clear decision. You're looking for that clear decision. Like when I became a wrestler, it was a clear decision. When I became a vegan, it was. A, there was no decision. It was like, a, it switched, and there was no looking back. I never looked back. I never doubted. And it was never I had to force myself to not doubt. It was just I never doubted. Mm -hmm. It wasn't present in my experience of life. And when I became a traveling yogi, there was no doubt. There there are little hiccups that come here and there. And it's like, should I be charging this much or should I go to this city or that or whatever? And But that's different from this is my purpose. Like I have no doubt. There's not looking at something else. 
And so this is what you're looking for. You're looking for a clear uh, switch inside of you with regard to a subject. And if you haven't made that clear switch, you don't have enough information yet. You're are still you, looking for information. Are you coming to Chicago anytime soon? Uh, not soon. It'll be uh, early next summer. Early next summer. Okay. Okay. Well, I, because honestly, we could have a whole other conversation now if you go into more of the yoga stuff, the vegan stuff. Uh, I definitely would love to pick your brain. And I know a lot of people, I know I know it's a trendy trendy topic nowadays. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'd be fun. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, but that once again, everybody, be sure to follow. Uh, that's at Yogi, uh, Yogi Chris on... Uh, yeah, Yoga Bliss Chris. Yoga Bliss Chris. Uh, that's, on, that's on Instagram. Um, Instagram and Facebook, and then websites ninthlimb.com. That's the number nine t h l i n b dot com. Yes, and I mean pretty much if you type in Yogi Chris, he'll pop up. And but the ninth yes. uh, Yogi Bliss Chris. Um, yoga, Yoga Bliss Chris. Yoga Bliss Chris. Yoga Bliss Chris. Yes. <laughs> it's all be, good. You'll be sure. Where, to, from? where am I from? Yeah, you said you're an immigrant. Yeah, from Poland initially. Came came yeah. when I was pretty young, so. Sure didn't affect me too much i uh, think i think i nailed down your intro with some of the tough words you had <laughs> yeah, yeah physiology sociology linguist i was like oh man you really really got me going this morning <laughs> oh yeah yeah good, you know, it's just basically your body parts and your chemistry you know how does this function together and what a, a doctor or a physical therapist won't tell you is how your mind relates to those things you know how your breathing is another expression how your breathing is an indication of your mind just as much as your words are because breathing and speaking are very related, right? You can't speak unless you exhale. And uh, sometimes you breathe and you sigh, which is a kind of word. It's a very primitive word when you sigh. And so breathing and speaking are very similar, and they both express the, how your mind is. And so I specialize in this relationship describing it because it's pretty intuitive. Like you ever – somebody makes a key point to you, and it like makes sense to you, and it like, oh, yeah, I get – and you like – you feel like you get it. It resonates with you. That's because you already knew it. They just said the words that you hadn't thought of the words yet to clear, clearly explain it, but you already knew it. And so when I describe the breath correlation to mind, people get it not because I'm teaching them something. I'm just making them aware of what's already happening. All right. And now on to our listeners' favorite segment of the show. Welcome to the round with no name because they're all taken. You will. It's a quick segment. You will get five seconds to initiate each and every single answer. We just want you to think, think quick, think up the top of your head. And uh-huh. we're, uh, if, if we don't answer in time, my producer is lurking in the background. So hopefully I don't. Hopefully I don't have to deal with him. So uh, let, let's, let's. So you just say a topic, and I have five seconds to give my response. That's it. That's it. All right. Let's go. I'll do my All best. right. What is your favorite yoga pose? Every posture. Come on. If you're stranded on an island, what is the one item that you want with you? The Bible. Good answer. And um, if you were to drink anything or eat, consume anything or something you would wear it with you every single day, what is the one item you want with you that makes you different? My necklace that I have on right now. Can you go? What is that? Can you go more into it? Yeah, it's a beaded necklace. It represents my teachers, and it's made of a seed that comes from India. The tree only grows in India, so it's a Raksha seed necklace, and that's what I would take with me right now. Okay, awesome. And if you uh, – okay, so who has been or currently is your greatest mentor? Arashdi Bazaar. What is your favorite book? Autobiography of a Yogi. How do you drink your coffee? 
black. Straight black. You I like what, it really black. You know what they say, right? You know what they say. I drink black coffee myself so I could talk about it, but they say that we 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 show psychotic tendencies according to a Huffington Post study. So Oh wow. Yeah. What's a psychotic exactly? A psychotic is uh irrational or what is that? Yeah, just someone that goes out there and does crazy things and just I I mean everybody could look at it differently. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I do I do a lot of crazy I, I put myself at a lot of risk. I do yoga poses on high objects, sharp objects that could fall and I would die. I do it a lot actually. And what, a lot of my pictures you see on my Instagram like on Grand Canyon or on rocks or whatever. It's not so obvious from the picture, but usually right off of that rock is a huge ledge. It's like you know, 30 to 50 meters that I would definitely die or, you know, if I fell. So I don't know if that counts as psychotic, but <laughs> no, not at all, man. Not at all. Totally. No, I do it every day. <laughs> How do you feel about white socks with black shoes? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I hadn't considered my feelings on that one. I think it, it feels ridiculous. Well, now you have, so you're welcome. Yeah, had, thank you. If you had an unlimited amount of money right now and you could do anything with it, start up any company you wanted, what company, what industry would it be? I would do something related to smart voice, uh, you know, like voice app, like Alexa, Alexa or whatever. Yeah, I would do something with that and I would uh, somehow make a yoga related app that hmm. goes on that and then I would penetrate the yoga industry uh, in the next 10 years and become the next Bikram. I'll be waiting and let me know when I can invest in that one. Oh, yeah. All right, you're there. I'm here. We both survived. Steve, Steve, the lurking producer, did not come out, so we're good. And uh, nice. we survived the round. <laughs> I appreciate it so much, Myro. It's it's really been a pleasure. Yeah, it has. So everybody, that's at Yoga Bliss Chris on uh, Instagram. Check out ninth nine t h limb dot com. Nice. And um, yeah, got got it done this time. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. The the. The international, the, the foreigner didn't come out of me this time, but uh, yeah, man, it's been a pleasure having you on. If you have any closing thoughts for the listeners, anybody that's kind of waiting to make a leap and deciding whether or not this industry or just entrepreneurism is for them, you have any closing thoughts? As we're uh, uh, the mic is yours, closing thoughts. Well, you've probably heard it before. You need a mentor. You need to find someone that inspires you. And just hunt, just relentlessly hunt for it. It's your life, and your life is one second less every second that passes. It, you're you're reaching your end, even if you're young. It's passing, and you're not getting that time back. And learn to value your personal time as senior to everything else. And this will you'll feel confident when you go on YouTube and you search for people, when you get on the internet and you search for people, when you read magazines, when you read things, pick up books and you go out like it's your life. And when you find the things that inspire you or, or the things that make you afraid, mm -hmm. the things that repel you take note that this is indicating something about who you are as an individual that's different from everyone else. And that's the best way for you to succeed is to amplify your individuality and it's going to help awaken other people's individuality and they'll follow you because they feel more awake when they follow you. And that's, I mean, that's what I do. That's, that's my method. I'm sure there's better or other philosophies, but so just pay attention to what you're super attracted to and what you're averse to and learn to value your time and your research as the senior authority in your life, because anything else would be you're under somebody else. And that's, that's uh that's not the way I operate. You're first, you're primary in your life. 
believe in. You heard that, everybody. Boss, two boss listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You're first here with Yogi Chris himself. It's been a pleasure to have you on, man. I can't wait to talk again soon and connect further. Hell yeah. Namaste, Myra. That is all for this episode of Bossed to Boss. Your next step is to visit Boss2Boss.com, where you will find proven techniques followed by professionals to help you make that next step. Again, that is Bossed, the number two boss.com. And remember, the time is now. <laughs>